Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, that is a blue catfish. Whoa. Take a picture of him. We're not keeping him. No, we're not. You got a picture? Oh, he wrapped him up. Oh, he's He's off. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 23 of Fail Hard, a by-design podcast that explores the relationship between fear, failure, and creativity. Sponsored by Adobe. I'm your host, Will Hall. When I was in the seventh grade, my mom, sister, and I, we moved from Georgia to this kind of rural part of North Carolina. And I can still remember how funny it was to me at the time when I learned that my new address was going to be on Peanut Plant Road. You know, Peanut Road. It just sounded like I was going to be in the middle of nowhere. And in a way, you know, I kind of was. But over time, I really grew to love that area. I mean, some of my closest friends and family, they still live there, have nothing but fond memories, and I always love going back. But at the time, it was a little bit of culture shock, if I'm being honest, because in Georgia, you had Atlanta and tons of pavement. And I would spend most of my days skateboarding and committing, I don't know, amateur arson or whatever I was doing in the early 90s. But in North Carolina, the main activity was basketball. Basketball is just in the water down here. You know, my high school, it was in the same division as Laney, where Michael Jordan went before he went to UNC. And then speaking of UNC, you also have all of these rivalries, Duke and Carolina, as well as all these peripheral colleges like Wake Forest and my alma mater, NC State. You even have Davidson, where Steph Curry went. Even casual fans, they can speak pretty intelligently about draft classes, defensive strategies, all this stuff. In fact, I'm friends with a great-great-grandparent who's in their 90s, and she can speak about basketball better than most 16-year-olds. It's everywhere. And I also, I got really into it when I was a kid. Not only playing all the time with my cousins, Jonathan and Garrett, but also reading about its history. Lawrence, Kansas. Dr. James A. Naismith, the inventor of basketball. Of course, basketball was invented by Dr. James Naismith back in 1891, as a way to keep rambunctious young boys busy during the winter months. And so this game, it borrowed from existing outdoor sports. So things like passing or the jump ball. Those things came from rugby or soccer, which is where we actually got the ball from. And I love beginnings of things because here you have this proto sport, a ball, peach basket, a few borrowed rules, and you don't really know exactly what it is yet. And so in the beginning, Naismith, he created only 13 rules, which he typed out on a single sheet of paper. But as the game grew, so too did the need for even more rules. And so by comparison, instead of just one sheet, today, the NCAA rulebook stands at around 147 pages. And these pages, they read more like a legal document than they do rules for play. I mean, this thing is super dense. Interestingly, with each new rule, or what we would call them in the design world, each new constraint that was added to the game, the more the game flourished and the more the creativity was able to emerge. And so, for example, things like the three-second rule in the lanes. This led to an explosion of dunking and interior play. Or the three-point line, which changed floor spacing and all of these strategies. With each new rule that was imposed, the more expressive the game became. In fact, we could do an entire episode on that topic alone because it's the picture of what we talk about all the time. Creativity that's born from constraints. 
But of all the rules that have been imposed on basketball through the years, there's one that stands above them all by a mile. The shot clock. The shot clock is easily the most important rule that's been introduced possibly to any sport ever. In an NBA game, that's the 24-second clock that's usually directly above the goal. And it's not accidental that it's placed so prominently because that clock is as important as the goal itself. And when it was introduced in the mid-1950s, it changed everything. Because before the shot clock was introduced in 1954, teams, they could just dribble or hold the ball as long as they wanted to with no consequences. And as you might imagine, this led to incredibly boring games and shockingly low scores. Uh, in fact, the lowest score in NCAA history was an 11-6 barn burner between Tennessee and Temple. Uh, I'll save you the Google search, Temple 1. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, these things were completely unwatchable. And one of the most excruciating tactics that came out of this era of basketball actually came from UNC and Dean Smith. He employed a strategy that you sometimes see in high school still called four corners, where the team would literally just stand in each of the corners and would essentially just play keep away the entire game. Again, painful and unwatchable. Nothing seemed to be at stake. But when the shot clock was introduced, now every second mattered. The clock, it became the 11th player on the court. And in fact, that's why the last two minutes of every game you watch, it's always so involved and usually compelling. Because you got to manage the time really well or you're going to lose. Time. Time is probably the most powerful idea that's ever existed. And, you know, years ago when I used to design games for companies like Adult Swim and Nickelodeon, we would add timers all the time because it's one of the easiest ways to make a game compelling. Without time, games, they can often devolve into activities or, you know, play widgets. And often it's hard to keep a user engaged over time without it. But with a timer, all of a sudden you have all this meaning. You have tension, things at stake. It's an incredibly powerful tool. If you're looking for examples of how powerful a time constraint can be, you really don't have to look any further than to your local university the day before a term paper or some big project is due. Otherwise, lazy students are suddenly transformed into model citizens, wildly focused and productive, all because of a deadline, that time constraint. I mean, I used to crack up when I was at NYU because that place is a ghost town 90% of the time. But every studio all of a sudden magically became slammed the night before a capstone or a massive review was due. Said simply, time makes things matter. Time. In philosophy, time, and by extension, immortality, it's been a core topic and has been debated for thousands of years. Back in 300 BC, Epicurus made the argument that we shouldn't even worry about death that ultimate time constraint, because as he argued, when you're alive, death can't exist because you're alive. And similarly, when you're dead, life can't exist. So why even worry? They're divorced from each other entirely. And though this is an interesting idea, I just don't find it to be sufficient because this constraint of time on our lives, it permeates everything that we do. One of the most influential thinkers of the 20th century was this guy named Ernest Becker. And his book, The Denial of Death, it was required reading when I was in college and with good reason. Because instead of seeing death as something separate from life, like Epicurus was arguing, 
he painted a more integrated picture. He argued that, as humans, we have so much in common with every other living creature. Like the animal kingdom, we also have birth and death, a beginning and an end. But humans, we uniquely have the ability to think conceptually. With just our minds, we can teleport to the past, we can transition to the future, we can imagine the universe as being so small that it can fit into the palm of our hands. This unique ability, the ability to conceptualize and play with time and space in all of these ways, this is why Becker referred to humans as, quote, small gods. We can manipulate time in a sense. But with this pseudo-deification, if you will, that also comes with the baggage of what he calls mankind's terrible burden. Not very subtle, is he? So mankind's terrible burden is simply the fact that we as humans, we have a knowledge of our own death, that sort of godlike ability to see in the future, but we don't have a way to stop it. For Becker, time, death, the knowledge of the end of all things, this is the deepest part of our wiring. It's not separate like Epicurus noted. It's integrated at our most base level. I think of it as something like our operating system, that every other part of our existence runs through and on. Everything we do, it's affected by the finite nature of our existence. So at its core, all of these thoughts and arguments, though, there's a more fundamental question in a sense. Simply this, if you could live forever, if you could exist in a world where time doesn't exist or even matter, would you even want to live there? My argument is a definitive no. The knowledge of death, that time constraint, that is what gives us meaning. In the same way that we talked about earlier with basketball games and video games and deadlines and all the like, these are the things that push us forward. It puts pressure on every moment in a really positive way. Time. It forces us to act with urgency. Our mortality, like all other constraints, is what leads us to live creative lives, to pursue beauty, to affect those around you, to be selfless. Time is the catalyst. It's baked into the fabric of our existence and even the universe itself. You know, podcasting is a curious format. There are shows that I've listened to for years and years, and though I've never actually met them in person, they still feel like my friends. I know them. And it's been interesting doing this podcast thus far, because now, sitting on the other side of the mic, I've realized that it's breeding intimacy for me as well. It's been amazing at how many unexpected friends I've been able to make just by doing this show. It's humbling and exciting. But with that in mind, it felt incredibly disingenuous to do a regular show this week without acknowledging what's been going on in the real world. I don't mean to be heavy, but last week I lost one of my very closest friends. In fact, I was at the hospital when he passed. Take it away. Way too young. And it's incredible how fragile life really is. The week before, he was a beacon of good health. He ran nearly every day. He tracked everything, regular checkups, the whole nine. And then three days later, he was gone. This game that we're playing, life, this shot clock that we've all been given and the fact that we don't know how long it is or when it's going to go off, 
That is what gives us meaning as people. And though, yes, I'm obviously filled with sadness over my loss of my friend Jim, I'm also inspired to go even harder than I was before because tomorrow is not promised. If there's something you want to do, do it now. The ghost symphonies that you've been keeping to yourself, get them out of your head and into the world now. Ideas, hopes, concepts, do it now. Now, now, now. Do it now. Because now is the only thing that's still in our control. And the biggest failure of all would simply be to never act. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh. Gigantic Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that's a blue cat. Whoa. Take a picture of him. We're not keeping him. No, we're not. You got a picture? <laughs> oh, he no, wrapped him up. Oh, he's, oh. Oh. he's off. In loving memory of Jim. Fail Hard is sponsored by Adobe. Everything associated with this podcast is enabled by the Creative Cloud, and we couldn't be more grateful for their support. Thank you, Adobe. We're releasing new episodes of Fail Hard nearly every week. So if you haven't yet, go ahead and hit subscribe now so you can stay up to speed. If you'd like to listen to past episodes, you can check out our website, americabydesigntv.com. In our last episode, we explored the failures associated with Montreal's Olympic Stadium, as well as some of the challenges that come along with being a host city for the Olympics. It was such a fun episode, so if you haven't yet, be sure to check it out. Season two of our television show, America by Design, is currently underway, and it's shaping up to be a pretty great season. If you'd like to stay up to speed with all the things associated with that show, as well as any number of our other programs, feel free to check out bydesign.global. There you'll find exclusive content, offers, and behind the scenes footage. Lastly, if you have any questions or suggestions for the show, feel free to shoot me a note hello at willhall.co. We'll see you soon.